2: helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world, and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us.
1: Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio, and you're joined today by myself, Jacob Antwaffer, as your presenter, and we also have as our co-presenter, Sue Bolton. Okay. So, I before we start, um, I'd like to acknowledge, we acknowledge the wandering people as the rightful sovereign owners of the land on which we live, work and organise, of which Free cr is, uh, is broadcast to you from. We have never ceded sovereignty and the colonisation of their land continues to this day. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging, and of course, The important part, I guess, of FreeCR and Green Left Radio and the role that we play is that we actively support decolonisation, whether in the Black Lives Invasion, Black Deaths in Custody or Stolen Generations campaign, or any other campaigns led by the First Nations community. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Now, to give a bit of a a summary of um, what we're going to be covering um, in Green Left Radio this week... Um, we're going to be—we're actually going to be doing an interview with Shay Anderson from Queer Trans Solidarity, and one of the one of the focuses is on this interview. Is um, I guess following you know the current kind of wave of kind of trans There's kind of been a disturbing number of public events, like family friendly sort of drag or LGBTI or queer kind of events, being cancelled. Um, in response to kind of far-right kind of threats So we're going to be having a bit of a discussion with Shay to kind of unpack some of that And then we're going to be having an interview with Kieran Stewart-Atterlin um, Who is the President of the Black People's Union um, Black People's Union is this new Indigenous-led organisation that has just been recently formed So we're going to be having a bit of a chat with Kieran to you know, discuss some of the politics And you know, some, um, the formation of this group and some of the issues then we're also going to be having an interview with um, Zelda Grimshaw, who is a spokesperson um, for Wage Peace, you know, who who are part of actually organising a lot of kind of direct action against weapons manufacturers. And and so there was actually a recent kind of protest out, um, at a bullet factory in Benilla in um, Victoria. So we're going to be having a bit of a discussion with Zelda, um, you know, about that protest um, and the on, the kind of ongoing campaign focus of that campaign. So I guess to kind of start off, um, we have Sue Bolton in as our co-presenter, and um, Sue is uh, is a local Marybeck, um councillor in, in the uh, in in the area of like Coburg, Brunswick, and they they um, at a at the council kind of meeting. Um, Sue was actually part of initiating uh, anti-nuclear a, a, a motion that has um, actually passed at council uh, opposing the kind of purchase of nuclear powered submarines and also. Declaring Marybeck to, kind of, I guess, be a nuclear-free zone. Um. So, Sue, do you want to kind of start off? I mean, give us a bit of a kind of report on, on that sort of discussion. I mean, there was a big. I read in the the newspapers that there was actually a, a quite of a big, right wing kind of backlash from the from the Herald Sun.
4: Yes, and the inter- um, and the uh, IPA. Um, the Institute of Public Affairs, very right-wing organisation and anti-people, anti-worker, anti-union, anti-environment organisation. Um, so what my motion was, so I moved the motion at the Merribec Council meeting um, for the Merribec Council to, collect, to declare itself a nuclear-free zone and to oppose the purchase of nuclear submarines. And the motion had a number of elements – um, and it was piggybacking off the fact that the old Brunswick Council used to be a nuclear-free zone council. There were almost 200 or, in know, 150 or so, between 150 and 200 councils in the 1980s and early 90s that declared themselves nuclear-free. And that didn't mean banning radioisotopes for um, nuclear medicine. Um, So it exempted, you know, the nuclear zone, uh, nuclear-free zone councils always exempted um, nuclear medicine um, for health reasons. But they banned the transportation of nuclear waste through their municipalities. Um, They banned any... um, any uh, connection to nuclear facilities in their municipalities. And there's a very wide range of councils involved and they all had signs, um, signs up. Now, we're in a situation where the federal government has announced, it's a bipartisan policy, has announced purchasing the staggering figure of $368 billion nuclear submarines You know, as if that money couldn't be spent to resolve the housing crisis or many of the crises we face, including um, dealing with the climate crisis. But it is sneaking a nuclear industry in through the back door. And the Maritime Union has opposed the, um, well, they oppose this whole AUKUS military agreement and they oppose. Um, any Australian ports being used to host these um, nuclear submarines um, the, you know, for all sorts of reasons, especially the danger to workers and communities. And so the motion also opposed the um, housing of um, nuclear submarines or visiting of nuclear submarines to uh, the Port of Melbourne. It also opposed the setting up in Australia of a nuclear waste dump because that is... A byproduct of Australia purchasing nuclear submarines and having nuclear submarines visiting Australia from the United States, um, it also um, opposed the purchase of the submarines for the spectacular figure of three sixty-eight billion dollars, because that will that money will come out of our services, and it also will come out of grants to state governments and local councils, because over the years, the federal and state governments have constantly reduced the funding of local councils while relying on local councils to um, provide basic services. And, uh, you know, there've been cries of outrage from the Ratepayers Association and the Institute of Public Affairs about this motion at Merribeck council why don 't we stick to roads rates and rubbish? blah blah blah. One of the councils said, "Oh, this is treating Merribeck as a united nations but i 've got absolute confidence in um, having moved this motion. It is about local co- is local council business it 's about um, dangerous material um, being transported through uh, Merribec Council area. Um, we don't want to see any anything to do with the nuclear industry, nuclear submarines transported through the Meribah Council area. We all saw how um, last year, I think it was, when Rio Tinto lost a radioactive capsule Uh, tiny, about the size of a headache tablet, Um, they dropped it out of their truck and there was a three-week search for for over thousands of kilometres of West Australian land to try and find this radioactive capsule because it was so dangerous. We don't want those situations to happen again. Local councils do absolutely have a role in opposing... Uh, something which is going to endanger our residents, but also opposing this spectacular waste of money on these submarines because it will come out of our services. So um, that's basically the gist of it. And we hope that other councils and more trade unions and more um, organisations will come out against the nuclear
1: submarines. Mm. And... um Actually, I kind of want to just make one comment and we've got to go to probably our first interview soon so I won't be able to spend too long on this discussion. But I'm having kind of watched, I watched a bit of the kind of live stream of the council meeting and um, just responding to this uh, comment that was by the right-wing kind of independent councillor, Helen Davidson, Mm -hmm. is um, we are not the United Nations, um, which was kind of one of the quotes in in the the article. But one of the kind of interesting things I um is this is and this is I think a kind of a common kind of trend with the capitalist system I mean obviously not idealizing local council, but local council is obviously one of the it 's one of the kind of few sort of areas of government where ordinary kind of people feel like they have a bit more direct access to to putting for presenting um political positions and of course there were a number of residents um from the Mary Beck community who actually spoke in favour of your motion. But I do think there's almost like when it comes to there's almost like this deliberate thing by capitalist governments where, you know, when they say things like, oh well this this national political issue is is a federal issue or this is a state issue, etc. Oftentimes, I mean, most people don't even really have any direct say over speaking about those issues even when they're supposedly confined to the federal and 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 the, the state. So almost like this sort of comment that we are not the United Nations is almost like a just a sort of – it's a comment that basically just um, – it's like actually, in a, in a sense, a, a thinly veiled anti-democratic comment that basically tries to make – Ermes in a sense tries to make the argument that ordinary sort of residents or citizens of the country can't have a really say over important political issues because you've got to leave those to the – to the federal politicians?
4: Well, actually, it's totally hypocritical because they only raise this when it is to do with progressive issues and progressive motions that get moved. When it comes to right-wing issues, um, they absolutely have no problems with raising things that are not rates, roads and rubbish. But also, even rates, roads and rubbish are not controlled by the council fully anyway because... Um, the rates at the moment in uh, Australia, are set, uh, sorry, in Victoria, are set by the state government. Um, there's a rate cap, um, so that's something which councils work have to work within. Roads, local councils don't have full say over roads. There's a lot of roads in local government areas which look like they'd be controlled by local governments, but are actually controlled by Um, State governments, um, so there might be very dangerous areas on those roads, but all the council can do is advocate to the state government to fix those, um, you know, death traps um, and rubbish. um, Some some elements controlled by council, but um, often the state government or federal government might set some policies around that, which the local councils have to operate within. So it's actually quite ridiculous for um, the Ratepayers Association to say that local councils um, should only focus on roads, rates and rubbish and um, the threat of nuclear waste in our cities is, um, you know, will be brought to our cities by the purchase of these nuclear submarines if um, that deal goes ahead. So we should absolutely be against
1: it. Okay, so I'm just going to go play a quick few announcements. Um, we'll conclude this discussion for now because we've got to get on to our first interview for the program. But you're listening to Green Left. Um, for listeners who are just tuning in now, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. and we will be back to you shortly.
4: your fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital are recruiting participants aged 18 years or older to receive a randomized fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose, either Moderna bivalent or Novavax vaccine, or be part of a control group and receive no additional vaccine. You will be compensated for your time and transport and will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter.
0: If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities as well as their family, friends, and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Huawei's Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Huawei's Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself... Or are struggling to help someone else? Please call Wellway's helpline on one three hundred triple one five hundred. That's one three hundred triple one five hundred. Wellway supports three CR.
1: Good morning, listeners. You are back um, on Green Left Radio, and um, we have Shay Anderson um, from Queer Trans Solidarity on the line. And I'm just going to go past the interview to Sue, who will be um, um, asking the questions.
4: Hi, Shay, Thanks for coming on air today. Um, You've been um, focused recently about the number of mainly drag events and and some trans events uh, which have been targeted by the Nazis, which has resulted in some local councils, like a scary number of local councils, um, cancelling events. Um, or, or else postponing events. And it feels as if our free speech is being taken away by councils on the advice of police cancelling, um, drag events, uh, at the behest of nazis um carrying out trolling and making threats um it'd just be great to get from you a little bit of an idea of some of the range of events that have been cancelled or targeted and what you think we should do about it
6: Uh, good
4: morning good
6: morning sir yes yes that's that's totally right yeah, um,
4: so, do you want to talk a little bit about what's um, the range of events that have been cancelled and the different council areas, which have been, um, you know, where this has happened?
6: Sure, sure. So late last year, um, a, a family friendly event run by Mooney Valley in Mooney Ponds um, was running and had a group of black lad men turning up with banners protesting the event and actually targeting specifically one of the drag performers. They did Nazi salutes. They um, yelled abuse at the families and community that were there enjoying a a great event in the park. And um, the police allowed them to continue doing that. Police put a perimeter between these... Nazi protesters and the family family event. But they didn't remove them and um, they allowed them to hold up, you know, banners, particularly attacking one specific drag performer there. Um, drag performer with a name that was Hebrew. Um, they clearly were showing their anti-Semitism. They had a Star of David and the name of the performer and what they thought of them and um, and that was kind of the first time we really saw this targeting of um, queer, family-friendly events. And then over midsummer, summer uh, the Pride Centre was running an event that was for, I think it was 15 to 25-year-olds, was kind of the target audience. Uh, again, they had drag performers. Again, they had the same drag performer that the um, Nazis had already previously targeted. And... That event didn't go ahead because the police called the, the councils that were running it and and told them that there was a threat of Nazis turning up of an and that the police thought it should be cancelled and so the councils did what the police told them to essentially and I'm sure they had some process of discussing what they should do, but
3: basically the police called, told them there was a threat. Which
6: councils, councils
4: which councils were they showing So that
6: was Stonington and I believe Philip, that partnered together for that event, and it was at the Pride Centre. And what happened out of that, it was cancelled, but a whole lot of people turned up out the front um, in support of the event that was supposed to have happened and basically had a party out the front. Um, So something happened there, even though council was, um, I guess, risk-averse. They're scared of running events where there might be something happening. Might be something happened that was negative, so they just they'd rather cancel rather than take the risk. Um, But the the risk of canceling, which we have seen, is that once one of them is shut down, that emboldens um, these right wing campaigners to target other events. Um, And it's kind of the group of people that are are doing this, that are targeting these events, is a mix of self identifying Nazis, people who. proudly call themselves Nazis and do Nazi salutes in public, and campaigners that have come out of the anti-lockdown, anti-mask, conspiracy theory group that has developed over the last, you know, since since COVID, basically. And so those two groupings and some right-wing Christians are working together together, um, to disrupt events. And so the next event that was cancelled was out in my part of part of NARM, part of Melbourne, which is in Casey. Casey was going to run a workshop, a drag workshop, running over five weeks. It was set up to have a a workshop that was run for teenagers and then a workshop run for one, young adults. And every week for five weeks, they were going to run workshops, which would lead into a performance at the end for the people who could run the workshops. And again, same thing. There were threats. There was some call, yeah, massive calls to by a court with a coordinated attack and police suggested that it should be shut down as well. And that led to council saying they were cancelling it. Um, and then most recently, just in the last few days, it's come out in the news um, that a cafe in... Um, Around Chelsea, sorry, just cafe in Chelsea was going to run a drag event for kids. Um, and again, they received threats and just didn't feel safe running it. And so they cancelled it. And uh, yeah, that's been in the media media in just the last few days. And so what we're saying is because the tactic of these threats have been successful in getting events cancelled, that emboldens these groups to continue on to the next group, to the next event and the next event. And until councils stand up and say, actually, we're going to run it anyway, we're not going to give in to this hate, it's just going to keep going.
4: Actually, there's one other council that maybe you might talk about their event. I gather the Hume Council also cancelled a drag event and then... Re, um, then reinstated the event after, um, you know, after a bit of campaigning to not cancel the event. Can you chat about that one as well? I think that was this year around similar time to the Casey Council cancelling yeah, event.
6: Look, my understanding is that was for a an event that is planned for Idaho Hobbit Day. Okay. Um, so it's upcoming I wasn't able to find a lot of details about that, um, so I can't really speak specifically to it. But, yeah, my understanding, as best I understand it, there was a drag performer who was going to speak or perform at an Ida Hobbit Day event. Council cancelled it under pressure, and then under pressure from people, from supporters of the event... They actually reinstated it. And I don't have the details, so really I'm... Yeah, I can't really say more than that. I don't have have all the details on that
4: one. I mean, I think what you're talking about, Shay, is a really disturbing trend, and it is especially disturbing. Like, I obviously understand there's a need to protect people, um, and I can understand people you know, might be very scared about these right-wing attacks. Um, but it is really worrying that basically the Nazi, Nazi attacks and right-wing attacks on these events is being a, used to close down our free speech. And it is a really, really worrying attend, um, trend, especially as um, these right-wingers actually quite small in number. Um, I gather at that um, Port phillips Stonington event, um, which was cancelled by the council, there were only five Nazis who turned up and there were sort of something like two or three hundred um, people who came to uh, protest in support of the event. Um, and, you know, so I, I think this is a really worrying trend. Um, my feeling is that we actually need to start to resist this. There was also another event also, it wasn't really an event as such, but I think it was in November last year, there was a plan to shine the rainbow lights on the Shrine of Remembrance and that, was, that wasn't that was even an event, it was just shining of rainbow lights in recognition of the fact that there are, um, you know, uh, Australian veterans who... Uh, are from the LGBTIQA plus community, and that was also cancelled as a result of um, right wing attacks. So I'd like to sort of get your sense of, um, you know, what you know, what you think should happen. Um, it certainly seems that there needs to be a little bit more resistance where we know that councils are caving in to the far right.
6: Yes, absolutely.
4: Um, I think, look, I think people need
6: to put pressure on councils to keep running events and to run more events because I think what's the worst part of what's likely to happen out of this is not just that a still relatively small number of councils have cancelled events, but other councils watching may not even put on events in the first place. Like, they it's just too hard, and we, don't, we don't, have the, don't want to put in the effort to deal with it. And so they just stop running events. And that means, particularly for queer youth, that seems to be the target demographic that's being attacked, um, events for queer youth will cease to exist in council spaces. And we really need to put pressure on council to not let that happen. Um, because they're responding to pressure from a very small percentage of the pop- population. And we know... And, you know, look, speaking of... In my area, I know Casey probably the best. When they set up this event, they did a lot of surveying of the local community to get the general sentiment of the community around running drag events, because they knew there might be some... Um, negative comments was that they wanted to be able to say, no, we know that the vast majority of our community supports running these events. And Casey knows that because they've surveyed their community. But a small minority that are willing to be aggressive and threaten or imply violence are able to shut it down, not because Casey thinks that's the sentiment of the community, but just because they're willing to give the impression that there could be violence, there could be danger, and councils are generally risk-averse. And, of course, we don't want to put young people at risk, but what we want to call on is for councils to actually put in the resources to provide safe places where where events that celebrate queer youth and queer culture and let young people who are, you know, really, really at risk of being marginalised to know that they're included as part of the community and that they're welcome and that they're, they're celebrated.
4: Well, Shay, I think this is a really important issue and sometimes when events like this are targeted by the right and shut down by local councils or or their attacks uh, on um, the queer community or other communities as well by the far right. Often when they're happening in suburban areas, they don't always get picked up by the media or they might fly under the radar and not a lot of people necessarily know about them. But it seems that I think we are going to need um, in this coming period to... Carry out solidarity actions and call on councils not to cancel events. And I know, um, just personally, in terms of Marybeck Council, um, going back to uh, around 2016 or, or 2017, when the council voted not to recognise January 26 as Australia Day, um, the Nazis, it was a different group. Um, but, you know, they keep changing their name. Um, but it was the group led by Neil Erickson at the time. Um, they basically invaded council meetings on two occasions, pushing people out of the road, etc. cetera. Um, and then most recently when there was um, a day of mourning ceremony on January 26 at Meribach Council area, uh, 20 Nazis, I think they're the same group or similar group that... Um, You know, invaded the Mooney Ponds event. Um, They turned up to do Sig Hell, you know, salutes, etc. And, you know, I was there and I sort of led a little bit of resistance in terms of, um, you know, um, calling out slogans of always was, always will be. Aboriginal land and and facing off against them because otherwise, for at least a short period of time before the event proceeded, because otherwise the council would have just scurried indoors to carry out the event but slightly changed event um, indoors and there'd be no resistance at all against the Nazis. So I, I think we'll need to bring you back onto our program again to sort of talk about... Um, once, you know, there's a little bit more of a plan in terms of resistance. I think maybe we need to interview you again at some point, um, probably in the not-too-distant future, Shay. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, certainly we'd like to, um, you know, support any of your events, let us know what activities you're organising, and, um, yeah, uh, we will bring you back on sometime soon, sure. Shay. Cool.
6: Sure. and can I just ask some people... If they are interested, if they want to support, um, you can follow Trans Queer Solidarity on Instagram or like us on Facebook um, if you want information on future events. And, yeah, definitely, if people can call their local councils um, and just put pressure on them to keep running um, events for queer youth and and to plan towards running protecting those events rather than cancelling them when there's threats. Um, We really need to put pressure on councils at the moment.
4: Thanks very much, Shay. And um, I'd also make a call to listeners um, that if you're aware of any events that are under threat in your local area, contact Trans Queer Solidarity, but also you can contact um, Green Left Radio as well and Green Left um, as well. Um, so, um, all of the details are on the website, Facebook, etc., and other forms of social media. So, um, I think we're heading on to um, some of the news of the day. So, thanks very much, Shay.
1: Thank you, Sue. Thank you very much, Shay. Have a good day. Thanks. All right. So, we're just speaking to Shay Anderson. Um, About um, about some of the the, about this kind of very problematic um, trend of um, anti of um, far right and other right wing forces um, protesting against um, LGBTI and specifically trans events. And I think I think just one sort of broader point to kind of make quickly is, I mean, one of the worst. I think one of the worst aspects. I mean, just going reflecting back on the Sekilda event that happened last year. Um, that had actually got cancelled by, um, by the, by the, by the, in response to these far right threats. I mean, one of the most problematic things about that was there was actually a big community mobilization actually planned, and that community mobilization actually went ahead, um, up despite, um, with, with the event getting cancelled. And of course, they still managed to attract up to 200 people for the community mobilization. And you could just imagine that the numbers um, would have been even larger if the event had um, actually gone ahead. I mean, there wasn't specifically a counter-protest planned at all. It was just the community coming together in a sign of solidarity to say, you know, we welcome this event and basically kind of defending the event essentially from any sort of far-right attack. And, of course, one of the m- more problematic things is actually the far-right did show up to the event, but only five to six people um, of, uh, um, ended up um, ended up mobilising. So, I think, just think it sort of shows that the far right is actually, you know, having an impact with very small forces, um, despite the fact that we're actually making up, we're actually out-mobilising them. So, I think it's very problematic um, that local councils are can, uh, cancelling these events. Now, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM.
0: Kofiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kofiyas and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. We're your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
1: Yeah, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR, 855 AM. And now we've got... um, Sue wanted to kind of... um, Had a kind of important kind of news story related to the Victorian Public Service. Um, So I'll pass it on to Sue to sort of bring... um, To start, I guess, a bit of kind of discussion on this news story.
4: Well, I first got alerted to this by the fact... Actually, I think it was reported in the Herald Sun... That the Victorian budget, on which I think comes out something like a week or, or so after the federal budget, so I think it comes out sometime around the fifteenth of May, um, is it's like in that budget it's likely to be the case that ten percent of the Victorian public service will be cut, um, like one in ten public servants. Uh, so this is on top of all of the other previous public servant public service cuts dating back to the Kennett years. And while the um, Victorian health minister said, oh, frontline services won't be cut, <laughs> that didn't mean back of house, or uh, I think that's the term they use, um, uh, public administration won't be cut. And the reality is um, frontline staff need... People behind them to actually carry out a whole lot of work so that they can do their work on the front line rather than having um, all this extra administrative work thrown onto um, frontline workers. And so, and the um, CPSU State uh, is a union that covers um, state public servants, and it's normally a very sycophantic pro-Labour union, but um, in response to this huge threat on its members, Karen Batt, the Secretary, has been making some very stern comments about um, the targeting of public servants by the state government, although at the moment they haven't called any industrial action as far as I know. But the really um, contradictory thing or hypocritical thing is at the same time that the government is... Are uh, threatening to sack something like ten percent of public servants. Their spending on consultants has rocketed up by two hundred percent since it was elected. Um, so that ten public sector bodies handed over almost hundred and seventy-seven million dollars um, to in, in the fa- last financial year to um, consultancies. And basically what's happening is the gutting of the public service is the gutting of skills within the public service and it doesn't actually, the chopping of public servants doesn't actually save the government money and in fact actually their costs are actually a lot higher Because that money is being transferred to private sector consultancies, and according to this, the figures released by the CPSU, um, the biggest, the four main consultancy firms that have reaped the profits and benefits of um, these consultancies, but the one that's um, the one that's reaped the most is KPMG. And uh, Karen Bat says that it's become an in-joke in, in the public service that KPMG has been turned into an extra government department, um, while public servants are stuck on w- with wage caps where, you know, the state government in Victoria has not lifted the wage cap on public servant wage increases. So it's still keeping public servant wage increases way down below inflation to something like 2.5%. And what we saw during COVID is one of the reasons the health department was so dysfunctional in Victoria was because it dated all the way back to the Kennett um, Liberal Party cuts in the public service where they just waved the axe around the public service while doling up money to private consultancies. And those cuts really gutted the health department and then labour subsequent labour governments never returned that money that was cut from the public service. They never returned that money in full to the public service. So there's been a gutting of skills and that means... It's not the gutting of fat cats when they cut public servants. It's always a gutting of skinny cats at the bottom who do the work. And it's basically removing skills from the public service um, where, there isn't a, where there's no profit motive and um, instead paying the money to private companies, private consultancies, which do have a profit motive. Um, And I think that is massively problematic, as well as being totally hypocritical. And, um, And it indicates who's really driving the economy and driving governments, and that is private enterprise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is definitely kind of quite a kind of outrageous kind of move by the Victorian kind of state government. And I think it's just, um, it actually also kind of reflects, it actually kind of reflects kind of one of the kind of, um, trends of kind of neoliberalization of, um, especially of, of the kind of public services. One of the kind of funny things about, um, about, kind of neoliberalization and this is sort of been this is sort of kind of a trend that's kind of observed is they're kind of always about this kind of level of sort of privatization but neoliberalism neo-liberal- is not even just about just that kind of level of privatization it actually creates more it actually in a sense almost creates more bureaucracies uh, in the kind of in the kind of process to actually kind of maintain all these sort of privatized sort of systems of how they deliver the public services um, it 's the same kind of trend you also notice with local council as well
4: no, it goes all the way local council, state government, and federal government where they 've almost gutted the number of internal workers directly employed by council, state government, and federal government um, they 've gutted those workers and therefore gutted the organisation of skills within the organisation and transferring these all to private consultancies. And that also means that then the skills don't necessarily exist within the organisation to police what the consultancies are actually doing um, when you gut an organisation of skills. And this, you know, can have really disastrous consequences. Um, so that some councils, really all they prov- all they do is manage contracts. Um, I gather the Mornington Council is like that. They just manage contracts and don't actually provide any services themselves, or, or very few.
1: Okay, well, we'll just go um, have a quick announcement and we'll try and get on to our next interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Left Radio.
6: We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so, when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defense mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle.
2: You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR Digital, and podcasting and streaming on
4: 3cr.org.au. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of
5: dissent.
1: All right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And um, we're very happy um, to be joined here today by Kieran um, from the Black People's um, Union. Um, Kieran is, um, is one of the kind of founders of the Black People's Union, which is actually a new um, First Nations-led organisation um, standing up for the sovereignty of, of, the, of First Nations. So good morning, Kieran.
5: Uh, Walawani,
1: thanks for having me on. Um, so, King, um, I guess, kind of to kind of start, um, just for I guess for our listeners, because um, Black People's Union um, has actually just been formed, and I, I think you know you, you organised, I, I guess, a protest recently, and and you have actually been also been involved in some other activities. I guess for our listeners, can you give us a bit of an overview, you know, of the Black People's Union, you know, how it's sort of formed, and you know what you kind of stand for? Yeah,
5: no worries. So, um. Th- the BPU, we're a revolutionary organisation of First Nations people uh, working towards achieving full self-determination, uh, recognition of our sovereignty and our land back. Back in December, um, we publicly came out back in December. We've been around for, yeah, about five months now. In that time, we've spread across most of the continent. Uh, the only place we don't really have membership at the time is Western Australia. Um, all of the other states we have membership in. And, yeah, we've been really picking up my membership.
1: And um, can you tell us, I guess, about, um, you know, what is the Black People's sort of union kind of positions on, you know, what? can you, can you tell us a bit about some of the kind of political positions that you would have um, in relation, to, I guess, first, in relation to kind of First Nations sovereignty? Because I guess some of the common sort of political kind of um, themes for, you know, political discussions that are obviously happening within the First Nations community is obviously, you know, discussions around how to address, you know, Black Deaths in Custody, um, the question of Shridi, and also, I guess, your position on this, guess, this whole voice to kind of Parliament sort of debate.
5: Yeah, all right. So I suppose to start off with um, the way we view sovereignty is a bit different to the way that uh, things like the voice to Parliament and the Uluru Statement view sovereignty and the way that the government has framed our sovereignty. Um, It's been framed as, you know, just something that's some sort of spiritual notion but, you know, it's obviously much more than that. Our sovereignty is akin to the sovereignty of other nation-states. Um, you know, to us, our sovereignty means our unfettered right held in collective possession by the members of the Aboriginal and Island Nation, which confers the usage, access, management and custodianship of our land, waters, minerals and natural resources, and, of course, the right to have our, you know, unimpeded self-determination over our own political, economic and social affairs. You know, it's much more than just um, some spiritual notion or romanticised notion. It's a real tangible thing that you know, confers the power and authority to us to be able to actually manage our lands and manage our people. Um, the only problem is, of course, rights only exist so far as you can enforce them. So, you know, part of the reason why we formed is to try and bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the continent in a pan-Indigenous revolutionary movement so that we would actually have the combined strength and power to be in a position to, you
1: know, start actually enforcing our sovereignty and our self determination, start governing ourselves. Um, and I guess, um, I guess, in terms of like um, you, you kind of described kind of your um, your position on kind of sovereignty. Um, I guess, can you tell us about? Um, you know, what are some of the kind of activities and like the, the campaigns that the Black People's Union is gonna be kind of involved in in terms of like growing your organization and also building the First Nations movement?
5: Uh, yes, so one of the main campaigns that we're working on at the moment is um, a no campaign against the upcoming referendum. <coughs> Pardon me. Um yeah, no campaign against the upcoming referendum. We are opposed to it, um, for a whole lot of reasons. I've talked for hours about this, but I suppose the gist of it is that we believe it doesn't go far enough. It's not something that is going to give us any power or authority over our own people and our affairs. Uh, we've seen dozens of similar advisory bodies set up over the past 50 years that have all failed to actually do anything to improve our material conditions and address the you know, oppression and exploitation of our people. Um, and not just you know Indigenous advisory bodies. There's been other things too, like Royal Commissions, for example, um, you know, we've had the Royal Commission to Aboriginal Deaths in Custody the Home Report. Um, the Royal Commission to Aboriginal Deaths in Custody is 32 years old now. And that deal hasn't been fully implemented. You know, our Indigenous incarceration rates are still continuing to skyrocket. Every single year they grow. Um, our deaths in custody rates are ongoing. You know, there's no change there. We're at five hundred and thirty or 540 plus deaths in the last 32 years. So. You know, we don't put any faith in our, the government to be able to address our problems. At the end of the day, the primary contradiction here in Australia is colonisation. This government was set up on colonisation. It thrives off of the exploitation and oppression of our people and land. And, you know, we don't believe that it's in a position to be able to address itself and what it's doing to our people in our country.
1: Hmm. And um, for, um, how can people, like, for any sort of First Nations listeners who might be kind of tuning in, or um, how can people kind of get involved and, I guess, um, support the kind of, or support the Black People's Union?
5: Uh, yeah, there's a few ways to get involved. Um, so, we've got Indigenous membership, of course. Um, our members, though, aren't like a typical member of a, you know, typical union, um, where it's, our members are expected to be um, a lot more... I suppose, contribute a lot more and to be a lot more active. Um, You know, we have very regular meetings, for example. Uh, We expect our members to come along to them all the time to participate and contribute. Um, We also run educational classes and stuff. Um, That being said, um, there is degrees to what level people can get involved with. Um, Our educational classes, for example, they're not just for members. They're open to the public, um, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. We run them every second Wednesday, and, you know, we encourage people to come along. We explore stuff like Indigenous sovereignty and self-determination, how we would achieve that, um, what that actually means, and it, as well as you know historical cases, both in Australia and around the world of similar movements. Um, we have also got an associate membership category for non-Indigenous people to join. So even though we are a First Nations-led organisation, um, we understand that at the end of the day, we need to work with the broader working class to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. So, yeah, there is that option as well if non-Indigenous people want to support us and help us out. Um, we've also got a friends of the union sort of category for people who you know want to stay up to date with what we're doing um, but don't quite have the capacity to commit to organising themselves. Um, yeah, people can jump on that. It's kind of like, a I suppose, an email list where we send out our newsletters and um, updates on our campaigns and how those campaigns are going, uh, what we've got planned for the future, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, there's um, always the option to donate. Any money we get goes back into funding of our campaigns and the union itself. You know, we're completely not-for-profit. No one who's in the union receives any sort of pay or salary or anything like that. But, yeah, there's a few different ways people can get involved. Um, If they want to, they can head over to either our Facebook or our Instagram to contact us. There's also a link on there for our website, which is just blackpeoplesunion.org. Um, on there you can find more details about membership as well as our demands, our campaigns, um, et cetera,
1: et cetera. Hmm. And, um, yeah, again, um, so Kieran, can you, um, thanks for that. And I guess um, you've given a good kind of overview of how people get involved. Um, we're getting kind of to the end of our, um, before we have to get into the kind of next um, segment of our program. Do you guess have any kind of final comments that you would like to kind of conclude on, um, like any sort of import- political points you'd like to kind of assert and, and so on?
5: Um, yeah, we just, I suppose, encourage people to support us and to join us in our campaigns. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the primary contradiction here in Australia is colonisation. We take the approach that as the Australian colonial state is a sub-imperial power occupying 300-plus Indigenous sovereign nation. Um, and, yeah, we just call on the working class and the left in general to, you know, get behind us and support us in our fight for... Uh, self-determination and sovereignty. And, you know, it's something that will only benefit the uh, the wider working class. It's not a you know, black versus white sort of thing. It's just about, um, you know, achieving justice here on this continent and in a way that will improve the conditions of everybody in the working class.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kieran. And um, it's been, uh, been great having you on program. And I think, yeah, we'll definitely be um, on our program. We'll definitely promote any sort of um, activities and protests um, that you might have coming up on our program. And, yeah, we're definitely in solidarity um, with what you're trying to build. Thank you very much.
5: No worries. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks, Kieran. All right. We're just speaking to Kieran from the Black People's um, Union, which is actually um, a new sort of um, First Nations sort of led kind of revolutionary sort of organisation, you know, fighting for and campaigning for um, First Nations self-determination and sovereignty. Um, So, yeah, we'll go play. um, I thought possibly before we go to the the green left um, activist calendar. Um, maybe we can actually play um, a quick um, song, and maybe it might be kind of appropriate to actually play um, When It Rains It Pours by Thelma Plum. Thelma um, Plum is uh, a quite an excellent sort of First Nations sort of sinner. Um, and good. we'll play that before going on to the Green Left Actors Calendar. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
3: street outside
1: All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR eight five five AM, and you're just listening to "When It Rains It Pours" by Film of Plum. Now it is eight AM, and um, at this, um, as part of this segment, we usually go into the Green Left activist calendar, where we give you details and highlight upcoming activists' events, including rallies, public forums, and and other sort of progressive um, events. Now, the first kind of event I want to sort of highlight is the Hands Off Our aqwasa rally, which is going to be happening at 1pm, which is organised by Free Palestine Melbourne. And I think Sue want to kind of give a bit of context, um, possibly because we didn't get a chance to talk about some of the recent developments in Palestine, to give context for why this rally has been called at quite short notice.
4: Yes, this is an emergency rally, hands-off Al-Aqsa rally. And for people who don't know, Al-Aqsa is um, the big um, mosque in Jerusalem. Um, And for two days last week, the Israeli military stormed the Al-Aqsa mosque, attacking Palestinians worshipping there using tear gas and stun grenades. Over 400 worshippers have been detained, many with injuries, denied due process and denied medical care. And this is in the context of the Israeli police minister saying it's time to rip heads off in Gaza. Now, some governments around the world have condemned Israel's actions in invading the mosque and attacking worshippers, but the Australian government notably has not Um, criticised the Israeli government uh, and the Israeli police for attacking the worshippers. So that's why this um, action has been organised. But also, just a couple of days ago, the Israeli government ministers led a mob of Israeli settlers um, with the Israeli army in tow um, to um, march to an illegal settler outposts and these outposts are really like military forts in the occupied West Bank demanding that it be, um, you know, that they be allowed to settle the area and in the context of that Palestinian protesters were attacked with over 216 Palestinians injured and 22 hit by rubber bullets. Um, So the Israeli government is stepping up its attacks on Palestinians and it's in that context that the hands-off al-Aqsa rally has been called for 1pm this Sunday, the 16th of April, at the State Library.
1: All right. Well, the next events just to highlight, is um, there's going to be a public forum, um, Militarism and War in the Asia-Pacific, Why AUKUS is a Disaster for Humanity. And that's going to be happening at 6.30pm with a meal from 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street in the city. And this has been organised by Green Left and Socialist Alliance. And then on... on um, what eight? Um, sorry, just a... From
4: the twentieth of April
1: oh yeah thursday april twentieth it 's just um the, um, the day wasn 't said there there's going to be film screening the Giants, um the extraordinary so- story of Bill, Bob Brown and the forest, and now just getting the kind of details for that oh yeah it's actually it's actually um just to tell you about the event it 's actually a cinema event. Um, which is actually going to be which is actually going to be airing so from um, from a- april twentieth it 's going to be airing at various sort of cinemas, so mainly the palace and um, cinema nova you can um, see that and then on friday april the twenty eighth there 's going to be uh, Dis- Discobedience, a street party from the cl- for the climate by um, extinction rebellion that 's going to be happening at four thirty p m at the Carlton Gardens. On Monday, May the first, there's going to be a May Day for Freedom and Liberation at five thirty PM at the State Library in Swanson Street in the city. And then on Thursday, May the fourth, there's going to be a memorial to workers who won the eight-hour day at five PM at the Eight Hour Memorial opposite Victorian Trades Hall, corner of Victoria and Russell Street in the city. And then on um. Saturday, May the sixth to Sunday, the May seventh. There's going to be a climate carnival at ten to twelve Moreland Road, East Brunswick. And then on Sunday, May um, May the seventh, there's going to be um, the May Day rally in March at one pm at um, at the um, where people will be assembling at the Shreds Hall. March will leave at two pm and then return to Shreds Hall. There'll be community stores, breakfast, barbecues, and other activities starting from ten am. And then on Tuesday, and this is something to save the kind of dates for, from Tuesday, May the twenty fifth to Thursday, May the twenty seventh, Extinction Rebellion is going to be organising an Occupy for the Climate. Now, an important sort of part of this um, kind of action, they are looking for people to, they're basically looking for a commitment from at least, from at least a thousand activists to commit to being part of a free day kind of occupation. Um, this protest is going to be demanding no new coal, no new gas, and, and the stop logging of native forest. And, yeah, so it's basically, going to be, it's, going to be, it's basically going to be, you know, build connections, disrupt business as usual, host workshops, discussions and training, and it will occupy a CBD location for free days and free nights. So, yeah, there's basically going to need, um, they're going to need at least a thousand um, people to just kind of sign up. And, um, yeah, they, you, I mean, you can also sign up if you can't camp, but want to sort of support the protest. So, I think the protest is going to be kind of contingent on over a thousand kind of dedicated people who can dedicate the full three days, but then it will also be relied by the kind of broader kind of support. So if you look on the Extinction Rebellion website, you can get a bit of a sense of, of the details. Um and then the other event to sort of highlight is um eco on um, from Saturday July first to Sunday, July second, the Eco Social twenty twenty three, a world beyond capitalism conference will be happening and that will be happening at the Trades Hall at fifty four Victoria Street in Carlton. And there should be more info on the agenda coming soon, but one of the keynote speakers is gonna be Kohei Saito, who is a Japanese kind of Marxist, um, who just recently wrote a a, a book towards um towards um Towards the Anthropocene, um, about degrowth, communism, and then there'll also we've also there's also um, confirmation that there'll be an uh, Indian speaker from the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist Liber- um, Liberation. He'll be speaking in person at the conference about the nature of Modi's government and so on. So yeah, that's um, that. That's I think um, all the kind of events, and unless there's some other events I I miss, Sue.
4: No, I think that's everything. Yep.
1: Okay. Well, now. Um, I'm just going to go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. become a subscriber
4: today call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au 3cr the voice of dissent
0: From Iran to the Americas, the Pacific to Palestine,
2: and here in so-called Australia, people are standing up for freedom and liberation. This May Day at Melbourne State Library join the voice of Revolution Iran Melbourne, the Black People's Union, renegade activists, unionists, and people from all over the world as we stand together in understanding that we are all in this together. A lineup of speakers and music from around the world demanding justice and celebrating our common struggles and our common humanity will be announced on the event page soon. You can find the event by searching Mayday for Freedom and Liberation on Facebook. Mayday for Freedom and Liberation, 5:30 p.m., Monday 1st of May at State Library Victoria. A 3CR community
0: radio supporter.
1: All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 a.m. And we're joined this morning by Zelda Grimshaw, who is um, a spokesperson um, for Wage Peace, who have recently been part of uh, a protest um, where they stopped work at a bullet factory in Benalla, um which I think took place on April 11th. So, yeah, good morning, Zelda.
2: Hi, Jacob.
1: Um, so, can you, to give us um, to to have um, to, to start off the kind of interview, um, Zelda, what can you can you guess, Can you tell us about this sort of blockade of the bu- um, bullet factory in Benella, and you know what? Why? What? Why? What was the kind of purpose and the targeting of the of the protests? Well,
2: the the factory up there has is is owned by the Australian government, so it's owned by the Defence Department. Um, but in typical kind of um, corporate corporatization of the state style, they leased it to two private weapons manufacturers, Naya and Thales. Now, Naya is an Australian-based company. Their headquarters are in Queensland, and Naya manufactures nearly all of the bullets that go into police guns in Australia. So that was our primary target for this blockade, was Naya, who make bullets. For Australian police. And we began that campaign really after a call out from Walpree Elders up at Yundamu um, to end the you know, end police shooting and to get police guns out of community. Um, so that, that call really resonated with us. We got in touch with them and we said, Look, we know where those bullets are made. Um would you like us to take action at the factory where those bullets were made? And they sort of went, hell yeah. Uh, so Naya, um, yeah, make bullets for the Australian police. The other company there, Talib, um are a French, you know, multi-billion dollar um, weapons maker and they export a huge amount of weaponry to Indonesia from where it ends up in West Papua. So that was our other solidarity focus was, was people who are being harmed by, you know, Australian-made weapons in West Papua and calling on Thales to, um, well, we'd like them to stop making weapons altogether together, really. I think there's a lot better things we could be doing with those resources, um, but certainly stop exporting them to people like Kapus, the um, Indonesian Special Forces, who are responsible for a lot of the worst human rights violations in West Papua. So now I've told you all about the companies. I haven't told you anything about the blockade yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, feel free to go and give us more detail about the blockade. Yeah. Especially for...
2: Yeah. So, yeah, that's why we targeted that particular um, factory. So we kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone, Naya and Talos, both evil harm dealers. we like to call them. Um... So a group of us um, went up. We actually went up the night before um, because we wanted to put a blockade in at that factory and prevent workers from reaching the factory in the morning. So, in effect, give workers the day off. And we did succeed in doing that. So we had a um, the famous lizard car. Um, people might have experienced lizard car in other blockades. Lizard car was um, on her sixth blockade. So that's a... Um, very sort of highly decorated um, vehicle um, and the wheels were taken off that and it was chained across the front gates um, of the entrance road to the factory. So it was quite a hard block. There was no no way that a vehicle could gain access to the factory. And that was in place by 7am. Um, so then we had a number of, of workers arriving at the factory and I mean, we've got... We've got absolutely no issue with any of the workers at that at that factory. We were very cordial with them and said, hey, got a day off. Um, and most people were, you know, reasonably content with that and turned their vehicles around and went home. We then ended up putting a second barricade up um, because one or two not workers but contractors were were annoyed that they couldn't get in. And one uh, driver from Conte Dairy in Shepparton actually accelerated his vehicle towards um, people. Um, Thankfully, no-one was hurt. Uh, But after that happened, we put a second barricade up at the front, which we just created out of what was available on site, so mostly out of branches. Uh, We made a couple of tripods and then put a crossbar across the top, used some hay bales that were around and decorated with it with our big ceasefire banner. So we ended up with two beautiful barricades and we occupied the space in between those for nine hours.
1: Hmm. And... um Talk talk going in a bit more into some of the kind of politics. I mean, you gave us you gave us a guess a bit more of you gave us a bit of information about um, Noah and um t- Tails or Fail. Talis.
2: Yep. Tal
1: and I guess I want to kind of I want you, you kind of I want you to kind of talk a bit more in detail about I guess the links and that these corporations, these weapons manufacturers play and the role that they guess they play in the kind of active impre- oppression of the First Nations community and also the destruction of the environment. Sure. Well NIA is the
2: Queensland company. Um, they started off selling to recreational shooters because apparently that's a thing, shooting for fun. Um, and then realised that the money was in the armed forces, so um, started selling to Australian military and police. And then Christopher Pine, former Defence Minister Pine, has um, come on board to support NIO. So Pine basically jumped straight out of the Defence um, Minister's. Chair and into lobbying for arms manufacturers or arms dealers. Um, he's a lobbyist for Elbert, the biggest Israeli defence um, corporation. Um, and he's also close to Naya. I think he's on the board of, of Naya. Um, so, yeah, Naya makes the bullets that go into the guns that our police carry. And our major call at this blockade was to disarm the police. Um, we don't think we need police to be carrying guns. Ordinary police should not be carrying guns around in our communities. Obviously, First Nations people um, have experienced, you know, a, a much higher level of police brutality and, and death in custody than the non-indigenous population. But we would also argue that police bullets harm everybody. It's a risk to everybody. Like, I mean, how many how many people having... A mental health crisis have been shot dead by police. Like it's, you know, when you need, when you need, when what you need is care, you end up with police bullets in your body. So, um, yeah, Nia is, um, you know, making bank off off of police violence. So we're saying that's an unethical um, kind of business to be in. Um, we want them to stop that business. Um, maybe retool make something that people actually need, like, I don't know, solar panels or spades. or must be better uses for that metal than um, these little metal pellet, pellets that end up in our bodies. Oh. Carlos, NIA are not exporting yet, but they just purchased a weapons company, an American weapons company, Barrett, to manufacture um, sniper rifles, and Barrett RX to Indonesia, and we have identified Barrett weapons in West Papua. Um, and Thales, of course, have made have made major points from exporting to Indonesia over 40 years. So Thales' guns, Thales' naval guns, were used at the Biak Massacre in 1998, and Thales' bombs are being dropped on West Papua villages out of probably out of Boeing helicopters or lockheed Martin helicopters, but so to answer the bigger question, I guess we see um, this weaponization of of capital really it it's it's companies um, providing the the coercive force to enable investment to happen you know so called investment so In the highlands of West Papua, um, people would have heard of the Freeport mine, the biggest gold mine in the world. Well, now they're trying to build a second mine that will be as big, as extractive, as damaging as the first. So the first mine, they basically took the top off a sacred mountain. So that's already a cultural abomination. But then there's all the displacement that goes with that and ongoing suffering because of displacement and then murdering anyone who resists and all of that happens because the army are in there supporting the multinational companies. Now they're trying to build a second huge gold mine up there. Um, James, I'm I'm in a rural area, and I might drop out, so I'm just giving you a heads up.
4: Actually, Zelda, um, it's Sue here, one of the co- co-presenters. Um, I wanted to ask you another question. We haven't got long to go with the interview um, before we get to the end of the program. But under the previous government, the Scott Morrison government, he was, uh, Scott Morrison was driving for Australia to be one of the leading arms manufacturing nations in the world. and. You know, that hadn't necessarily been um, the case or been put so strongly with previous governments, but there doesn't seem to have been a turning away from that by um, the Labor government. Um, And we seem to have a number of military companies in Australia now, weapons producers in Australia, including some uh, notorious um, Israeli Um, uh, weapons manufacturers. I'd just like you to comment on this because, as you said earlier, this is an abomination that resources are being used for the creation of weapons. Um, But I'd like you to comment on that, please. (laughs)
2: So it was actually it was actually the Turnbull government. Who, oh okay. yes, yes. Who, Thanks who for the history.
4: <laughs> yeah, no
2: worries. Who, who put in that ten-year plan so that, that we're going to become one of the top ten weapons exporters in the world? That's their that's their goal. It's a ridiculous goal. Like we're nowhere near the top ten. Uh, we are in the top ten weapons importers. Um, so that's a pretty uh, revolting um, fact that we're in the top ten weapons importers in the world. But, yes, they are pouring billions and billions into weapons production. So the multinationals are going, "Eha this is great. So we've got Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin, Thales, the French company, um, and then local companies like Naya just jumping for joy because they're getting billions of taxpayer money for nothing. Um, they're getting all these grants to... You know, develop. Um, Albert got a million dollars from the Victorian government to do a research facility. Well, what do you think they're researching? They're a weapons manufacturer. They're researching how to make better weapons to dispossess and maim and harm more people. Um, so yeah, it's 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 disgraceful in terms of the um, the drain on our economy, the drain on our resources like that. $368 billion that they've just committed to give away to um, BAE, to build nuclear submarines. I mean, I, I could use that $368 billion to maybe, like, repair the climate. Um, so it's disgusting in terms of the waste and resources, but it, weapons are just waste. There are, it's a 100% waste industry. The weapons are made to lay waste to communities and to... Um, ecologies, ecosystems, and they are made to become waste. The whole point of a weapon is to blow it up and destroy it. So, yeah, the human cost, the environmental cost, the economic cost, it's just, it's, it's just a total series of negatives for, um, for us and for anyone who is on the pointy end of those weapons. So, yeah, we're trying to um, stop arms manufacturing altogether. Uh, let's go for earth care, not warfare. Like something we really need.
1: Um, so Zelda, we, um, we're but we're probably running a bit out of time now. But do you have any quick final comments that you might like to make to conclude our um, interview?
2: Um, I guess I'll, um, I'd ask people to um, have a look at Wage Peace on social media or our website if you're interested to find out more or to go to any any future actions. Um, we do run public events every so often. If people want to come along and meet, we'd really welcome that. Um, and I guess my final comment would be, we cannot, main, we cannot attain climate justice unless we demilitarize. So military is the, the biggest emitter, like US military emits more um, greenhouse emissions than any nation. Um, and those emissions are not counted when they, when they do their tally of who's emitting what military get a, get a free pass to emit. So it's a climate disaster and we cannot, um, we cannot achieve climate justice unless we demilitarise. So just asking people to bring those struggles together, one big struggle for peace on Earth and a, a planet that we can survive on.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much, Zelda. Um, I think this has been a very good interview and um, thank you very much for being on our program.
4: Thanks, oh, Zelda.
2: Love, love coming
4: on Tracy.
1: cr Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. We're just speaking to Zelda Grimshaw from Wage Peace, who was just part of this important protest, um, protesting against these um, weapons manufacturers at a factory in um, Benella in Victoria.
4: And just a little follow-on comment before I pass back over to you, Jacob, is that really um, this... Um, you know, the development of all these weapons industries means that they're companies which have uh, an economic interest in having in uh, countries like Australia and US, etc., being engaged in more wars. So that things like the war in Ukraine, uh, when Israel bombs um, the Palestinians, um, when other wars take place, are really ways of advertising weapons that have been produced by particular companies. So there's actually an economic imperative for companies to want countries to go to war against each other and um, the human destruction. No one wins out of war other than than private corporations and the very richest 1% of society. Uh, Ordinary working class people don't win out of any war.
1: Okay, well, um, we're getting into the end of the program. Um, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, you stay tuned for Left After Breakfast, which is um, following after this program. And yeah, stay, also tune in to Left Radio next Friday, where we'll have uh, more interviews and discussions and some of the latest sort of, um, um, latest sort of developments in the struggle for a better world. Your, and but
4: also check out the Green Left website and you might want to become a Green Left supporter. Um, it's only $5 a month. All the details on the Green Left website. Right.
1: Okay. Thanks again um, for, for tuning in. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
2: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit.
1: If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au support or free call 1800 634 206.
3: Arise, you workers from this yes, slumbers! Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions, servile masses arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds in that crap.